I think a great way to getting to know your customer is looking at your customer reviews. Those bad reviews sometimes are pointing out things that you can improve. What I was noticing is that people would click on my ad, they'd see the product, and they would come back to the ad and they would be furious. You're ripping people off. This is a lousy product. I can't believe that you're doing this and you're just trying to take advantage of people's fears and steal their money. Like, just so angry. I imagine once you're featured on national news, you get a few more haters. <laughs> we do. When we first used to get them, I would cry. Hello, everybody. I'm Kelly Martin, and you're listening to Making It Work, made possible by FedEx. This podcast is all about helping small business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs navigate the complex world of company ownership. And by now, you know that Making It Work will always tell it to you straight. In each episode, our guests wear a different hat, accountant, sales expert, even philosopher, to give you the answers and motivation you need to run a business. This time around, we're talking to the entrepreneurs about how they get to know their customers, whether that's through product reviews, online communities, or just by picking up the phone and talking to them. So should you really take that two-star rating to heart? And how do you tell constructive criticism from those online trolls and haters? Asking the questions is Tom Scallon. Online reviews. How did we ever live without them? Whether you're checking out places for dinner or deciding which dishwasher to buy, ratings and reviews will most likely impact your decision. And for a lot of people, it only takes a couple of bad reviews floating in a sea of five stars to get back to the drawing board and start searching from scratch. No wonder then that businesses are so keen to encourage happy customers to leave feedback and even keener to placate the disgruntled ones, whether they're right or whether they're wrong. And as we'll hear a little later on, sometimes it doesn't make a difference anyway. In a world of habitual haters, an internet connection and the cloak of anonymity is enough for some people to let rip and bash small businesses. But two stars doesn't a troll make, and no one knows that better than Paul Pallas. He's CEO of Swissco, a family-run hardware supplier based out of Philadelphia. When Paul took over the running of the company a few years ago, he knew he had to make some changes. He looked no further than his most dissatisfied customers. I think a great way to getting to know your customer is looking at your customer reviews. And as a CEO, and I take reviews very personally, it's sometimes hard to read reviews, especially when they're negative. I feel very personal about them, but they are important to read and not to get upset about a negative review to really look at it. Why was this customer upset? Even if they're, they don't seem reasonable, there's something sometimes behind it that maybe we can improve. And you just can't, you can't mark it off as, no, this customer is unreasonable. They're, they don't know what they're talking about. Those bad reviews sometimes are pointing out things that you can improve. A good example of that in the beginning of Swissco's. At the time, we were only shipping with only one type of shipping service. And it was kind of expensive at the time. It was a catch-all and it was pretty expensive for small shipments. And a lot of our orders are for small little uh, widgets, which only cost two or three dollars. And then the shipment would cost them eight dollars to you know maybe twelve dollars. And customers were getting really upset. They're like, I don't understand why we have to pay more for shipping than the product. And to us, we're like, well, obviously, we, we need to ship it to you. And there's no way doing it. We won't make any money if we pay for the shipping. So for the first year or two, that was our mindset. And then we started thinking, no, we could do this better. We need to explore more options. And we started realizing, oh, we can ship 
these packages first class and priority. And it's significantly cheaper. And it's making our customers so much, so much happier. And if we stayed ignorant to those bad reviews, we never would have explored this option. And that was a huge change for us. It really bringing down our shipping costs improved our web store so much and our orders skyrocketed after that. So ever since we realized that, we're like, oh, we constantly need to work on lower shipping. And we have fast, affordable shipping and customers appreciate it. And we constantly get positive reviews on how fast our products get to the customer now. You know, and I learned that through negative customer reviews. Another way for customers to reach out to us is we encourage customers to send us photos of their projects that they're working on. We want to help you. We want to walk you through it. Sometimes they send us photos of hardware we've never seen before. And this is a great opportunity for us. Instead of turning them away and be like, oh, I'm sorry, we don't have this. We look into it. We look into, can we figure this out? Can we find a supplier for this? Is this something we should carry? And we will bring it in a lot of the times. And now we have a new product that people want. And um, it's like our research department. It's fantastic. And it's a great way to get to know our customers. The customers are blown away that we would do that for them. And it's a great way of growing our inventory. Is there any negative feedback you received that changed anything else about how you run your business? Uh, Here's another one. So in the beginning of Swisco, we used to have a restocking fee. And for us, we thought a restocking fee made sense because we were hoping that customers would notice, oh, there's a restocking fee. I'm going to pay more attention to my order before I order it to make sure it's right. So if I need help, I'll reach out to Swisco customer support. I will do what I need to do. But that's not what was happening. A restocking fee did not encourage anyone to be any more careful. Instead, what was happening, it was someone ordered the incorrect part. They got it home. They try to install it. They find out it's wrong. They're frustrated from that experience. They contact us to exchange or return the item. And then we tell them, oh, there's a 5 to 25% restocking fee. And that just made it so much worse. That was salt in the wound. And we got a lot of complaints about that. And for the first while, we did ignore those complaints that these customers aren't being reasonable. They don't understand it. That's just, this is how the industry is. There's restocking fees. And then one day we realized, why are we doing this to customers? Let's just get rid of the restocking fee. It's not like this is a source of income for us. It's just an annoyance to customers. We got rid of it and nothing changed. We thought maybe at first that there would be more ordering mistakes by customers, but nothing changed other than we don't get the negative comments anymore (laughs) from customers when they return items. So that was a really good experience. Sounds like a win to me. Yeah. You know, sometimes, you know, just changing things to help customers, it feels scary because this is the way you do things. And it's scary to change it. But a lot of times the customers are right. Just make the change and you'll see that the world's not going to end. Everything's going to be okay. And now your customers are going to be happier. Do you respond to negative reviews you receive? We will respond to every review we can, especially the negative ones. When we receive a negative review, sometimes it's just a disgruntled customer. There is no real criticism. It could be a lost shipment that just happens once in a while, but it's not really anybody's fault. And then 
they decided to go write a bad review instead of reaching out to us. If they reached out to us, we would have made it right. So we will try to identify the customers of bad reviews and reach out to them proactively and fix their problems. We want you to be happy with your experience at Swisco. In a world of automation and up-to-date organic content, things like that, how important is just good old-fashioned customer service? That's what we pride ourselves on. You know, years ago, you used to be able to take a random piece of hardware, walk into your mom and pop hardware store, bring it to the front counter, and they know exactly what it is, and they have one in the back for you. And that was just fantastic service. Well, those mom and pop hardware stores are gone. You know, big box stores have taken over and shut down all the small independent hardware stores. So we try to bring that mentality online, the mom and pop hardware store online. And that mentality is good customer service. And that's what we pride ourselves on. You're not able to send photos to some of the big e-commerce stores. You're not going to receive any help that way. But with us, you can. And that's what we're selling. We're not necessarily selling hardware. We're selling good customer service. And I think it really blows people away that they can receive customer service like this nowadays. And I think it's it's a lost art. It, it's something that's really important. And it's sad that it's going away because of large companies that are selling inexpensive items. And if anything goes wrong, they just refund you real quick. But if you need a solution, they're not going to help you find that solution. And that's the difference between us and some of the larger stores. And that mom and pop experience brings me onto your YouTube channel, which is trying to help people out like an old hardware store would have done in the past. Yeah, the YouTube channel is a great outlet for us. It provides a creative outlet for our team here. They enjoy making videos. And the team that makes our videos are the same team that are helping customers. And what's great about these videos is that they are basically the most requested questions that our customer service department receives. So when we receive these inquiries in the future, we have a great video to show them and customers love it. Not only are they going to get a thorough explanation of how to prepare or replace their particular piece of hardware, there's a great video that's going to walk them through it step by step. And so we help our customers out and we're helping our customer service team out by providing them these tools to help their customers. And it makes it a lot easier than explaining the same thing over and over again on the phone or through email. So people should like, comment, and subscribe to the Swissco YouTube channel. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Knowing how much Paul put into digitalizing Swissco when he first started working there in 2006, I'm really impressed how he managed to use technology to enhance the company's relationship with customers rather than be a detriment to it. For him, that's been YouTube and email for the most part. Our next entrepreneur takes a more direct approach. Muncie Gangan founded her Massachusetts-based company Nested Bean in 2011. After she started suffering from sleep deprivation due to her restless newborn, Muncie went about designing a weighted swaddle to get babies to sleep better. Originally selling through stores, Nested Bean moved to a direct-to-consumer model a few years later. The ability to communicate directly with her customer base was a game-changer for Muncie, but with the fans came the critics. Her solution? Pick up the phone. The minute you sell your first set of products, whether it is to a retailer or to an end customer, 
that feedback is is so crucial. You're so eager to find out how the end customer is taking to your brand new idea. One way or another, you try to find it. What we found was that several parents that we had given this product to were really swearing by this product and how it was helping their babies sleep better. And when we found that, we wanted to just keep receiving that feedback and iteratively changing our products. And that was so crucial in the first few months of the product because your product also might require some some edits, some changes. And when you sell the product through retailers, that feedback loop does not get completed because it's their customers and they are a few degrees away from you. In order to get that loop back into the company so that we could be advised, it was really important for us to reach the customer directly through the online channels. When you're selling through retailers, is there any way of knowing what people think about your product other than the sales figures? It's interviewing your end retailer, your, your retailer, but that does not yield um, that does not yield as well as going directly to the customer and asking them the questions. And um, so, no, there is really no easy way. Nothing replaces a focus group where you have the customer right in front of you. There are so many behavioral patterns that we can read directly from the customer. Okay, so you went from selling through stores and eventually set up your website. Am I right? That is correct, yeah. We did start selling our products to retailers and then... We had done retail trade shows, et cetera, for about two years. We knew that uh, the retailers, which were primarily parents, moms, given our target, core target market, and they would light up when they saw the product, but then the product would stagnate and get sluggish on their shelves. Uh, so if we were to extend their excitement to the end customer directly, that's what we wanted to do. And we went first from being a B2B seller to a B2C seller. How come you started out with B2B? Because out of the entrepreneurs I've spoken to, I think you're possibly the first person that went straight to that. Direct to consumer has become such a big thing now. So how come that wasn't your first port of call? You know, this was back in 2012, end of 2012. And online e-commerce channels, the experience in that was very limited. Plus, our product was meant for infants and toddlers. And there was always a thought that we're bringing something so different into the market that the trust that the end customer needs to have to buy our product cannot be just earned overnight. We are a no-name company with a um, remarkably different product into the market. If we can go based on existing trust, we might be able to sell better products or, or more products. Now, that had changed drastically by, in 20, by 2014, 2015, where people were not just buying online, they were buying on their mobile phones. So online means of sales had become more reachable to brands and as well as the customers. And the fear of buying something online also had receded, especially for you know infants because of return policy. So there were so many different behavioral changes between 2012 and 2015 that made that possible. And how did setting up your online store change the way you communicate with your customers? What were they saying to you? Oh, it drastically changed. I mean, it drastically changed the way we reach, convince, sell, and then get feedback from our customers because the feedback loop that we have is extremely iterative. So, you know, a lot of brands also may think that just by placing the products on the website is supposed to do the job, and it really does not. And they are surprised when 
when the products don't sell as well as they had imagined because they have built the roadways, you know. I did a little bit of Googling early this afternoon and see that you have a quite enviable 70,000 followers on Instagram. So how did that come about? (laughs) And what part does social media have to play in how you speak to your customers? Oh, social media has been the only way that we were able to do what we do today. As far as all of our digital platforms, you know, I, I probably didn't mention this earlier, but within Nested Bean, we have this belief that our responsibility does not end when we sell the product. Our responsibility begins when we sell the product. Because we use all of our digital platforms to not just sell, but also to educate our customers. So I would like to think that one of the reasons why our social media following has grown is because we use these platforms, both Facebook, Instagram, and a few others, to provide educational tips to our customers. If there are customers whose babies may not take to our products immediately, we don't just say, oh, yeah, you know, sure, no no problem, return the product. But we actually hold a conversation with them. We ask them the challenges that their baby is facing. And using the wealth of knowledge that we have at our disposal, we actually help them solve their baby's problem. How important to you is it that people know the person behind Nested Bean? know Mansi Gungan, know that she's a mompreneur, knows that she started this business as a passion project? It is extremely important. The veil that exists on companies, they are entities and not people to the end customer. So it's really important for the customers to know that any decision that is made, it is made from the heart of a mom who's just like them. And so the decision is not made because it is good for the company. It is made first because it is good for a child, a baby, and a family. It is extremely important for them to know that it is a mom-founded and women-led company because at the heart of every decision, we hold their best interest in mind first. With a greater social media presence brings criticism. How do you separate constructive criticism from the haters and the trolls. You know, that is that is absolutely right. But I've taught my team to not be reactive. Because of that veil that exists, they think that they're speaking to an entity. But many times I would pick up the phone and actually speak to them and really learn where they're coming from. And when we do that, if it is if it is criticism towards our product because they've used it the few times that that has happened, I have actually picked up the phone, spoken to the to the mom on the other end, understood the the problem, and we have reassured them that we are going to be including their feedback in the next product development round. And that, remarkably, first you know, getting a call itself from a company's founder changes their 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 perspective, their attitude towards the problem. The other thing is they have when they felt the need to say something that was not constructive. That emotion, that emotional state has passed when I call, let's say. So we don't get that same person even, right, on the phone. I'm curious, what's the reaction when you call customers up? Do you get some red faces about how they phrase their complaints? <laughs> their demeanor is very different, Tom. I mean, they are, they are, they are quite, actually, they are quite taken and they are appreciative that, so, that someone bothered to call them. I've never, not once, heard an angry tone on the other end. Not once. And um, when I call, there is a good bit of compassion. You're listening to Making It Work. Coming up. 
So my philosophy has always been treat every customer the same way you treated that first customer because you're so happy, so grateful, and so humble for this first customer. You need to remember that even though you've said that thing a hundred times today, the person who's hearing it is hearing it for the first time. And so you need to say it with the same amount of enthusiasm as if it's your first time saying it. I imagine once you're featured on national news, you get a few more haters. (laughs) We do. When we first used to get them, I would cry. Positive ratings not only lead to sales or views or listeners, this initial feedback can give entrepreneurs the motivation and inspiration to carry on what they're doing, even if their sales figures are nothing to write home about. Or in the case of our next entrepreneur, even if you don't have anything to sell. Dahlia Rizik is the founder of New Hampshire-based Buckle Me Baby Coats. She started selling her crash-tested baby coats in 2017, but had had the idea way before then. It was the positive reaction she received to a Facebook video that got her started on her path and pushed her into manufacturing mode. And if you were one of her early backers, there's a good chance Dahlia still remembers you. The customer journey for me, it happened really organically because when I started out, like I said, I had posted this video on Facebook and I had no product, but I suddenly had this audience of people who were really interested in learning more about the coats and what I'm doing. And I wanted to hang on to that because I knew that it was really valuable, but I didn't have anything to send them or sell them or give them. And so what I decided to do is just start talking to them, you know, telling them about my story Um, setting up a newsletter where I would email and just hearing back from them what's going on. And what's been so amazing and rewarding to me is that I still hear from a lot of those people from year one today, four years later. And I remember their names and lots of times I remember their stories too. Was it a surprise to you early on when people were so enthusiastic about this idea that you had? A little bit. I, you know, it's a funny thing because, I mean, everybody's personality is different, but the way my personality has always been, it, it's kind of like sort of goal-oriented. I do what I'm doing and I don't really spend a lot of time thinking about how it's received. It was my sister who was like, I was making the sample and she's like, are you going to tell people about this or is it going to be your secret forever? So I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll post. And the reception and how excited everyone was about it did surprise me, not because I didn't think people needed it, But I think by the time I threw it out there, like I was so used to the idea that it didn't seem as exciting anymore as it was to someone who was new. And in fact, my friend and I were at a trade show, I think it was my first trade show ever. And and she had been a, a longtime supporter of the idea. And I was repeating something for like the 50 millionth time. And she gave me a piece of advice. And I just think that lifelong learning is so important. But she turned to me and she said, you need to remember that even though you've said that thing a hundred times today, the person who's hearing it is hearing it for the first time. And so you need to say it with the same amount of enthusiasm as if it's your first time saying it. So for me as a person, yes, it did take me by surprise, but I'm learning how to meet people where, where they are in their enthusiasm instead of being like, yeah, I sell coats. How do you respond to people that are not so enthusiastic about your products? How much do you learn from them? A lot, actually. I think that the lack of enthusiasm comes from several places. When I first started out the coats, they were pricier than they are now because I was making them in the US and I was losing money. And what I was noticing is that people would click on my ad, 
obviously they'd go to my website, they'd see the product and they would come back to the ad and they would be furious. You're ripping people off. This is a lousy product. I can't believe that you're, you're doing this and you're just trying to take advantage of people's fears and steal their money. And in the beginning, I was really taken aback both by the content, but also by like the amount of venom, like just so angry. And I thought to myself, how many times have I looked at an ad on Facebook? Because when you look at an ad and you click to the website, it's not easy to get back to the ad because usually the ad's gone. You're on the website. That was the goal of the ad, right? So I was like, how many times have I looked at an ad, saw the website, and usually my thought is I want this product and then I buy it or I don't want this product and I close the website and I go back to whatever I was doing. But how many times have I felt compelled to find the ad, to go back to the ad and write something really negative? Like what would compel someone to do this? And I realized like I, I, in the beginning, it really stuck with me. Like why are people coming back to the ad to be this angry? And then I realized they want the coats, but they feel like they're priced out of the coats. That's why they're angry, because it's something they feel like they need and they want, but they can't have. And that's what's spurring the need to be negative, to kind of complete that circle for themselves. So then I thought, well, how can I help them but not be in the negative for myself? So I added Afterpay to the website to help them split up the payments into four payments instead of one, and it's zero interest and zero credit check. I added some extra length to the sleeve, so they usually can use it for more than one year. I added a trade-up program, so parents, once they have a coat, they can then trade it in the next year and get a $20 credit towards a new coat, because my biggest cost for the coats is the cost of customer acquisition, because it's so new. And it all comes from really listening and setting aside your ego and that feeling uh, that bubbles up when somebody says something negative to you and just thinking... How can I help this person? And what are they telling me they need? Even if they're not telling me in the best, most beautiful way. It's, it's so easy to listen to someone who tells you something you want to hear. I love your coats and I love what you're doing and I love your message and you're the best company ever. Yeah, we all feel warm and fuzzy. But sometimes the most important messages come from people who don't tell you what you want to hear. It's funny that you worked out these criticisms were coming from people who felt they were priced out of your product because i would have just guessed it was a handful of determined trolls that were sending you negative comments as well as a dozen other small businesses i think it's the way in which they were saying it they were just so angry in a very hurt manner like they seemed like they were hurt like i had injured them i can't say that i thought of it at the very first comment like the first few times i saw it i had that normal human reaction of why are you coming at me i'm doing the best i can i was losing money that year to boot so i almost wanted to write i'm in debt what are you talking about <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> but i i think that as it kept happening i really started thinking about what would prompt me to be so angry that I go back to find the ad to comment on something instead of just closing it and saying, I can't afford this. And I tried to put myself in that position of where is this coming from? And, and, and I think as long as you try to put yourself in the position of where is my customer coming from, you're going to be able to understand their experience because we're all human. You've got to respect Dahlia's determination to be sympathetic with her critics 
especially when she was losing money. It's that level of customer care that really sets small businesses apart. The question is, as you grow, how do you maintain that mom-and-pop feel? Florida-based entrepreneur Casey Kelly thinks she may have the answer. Casey co-founded Blended Designs in 2014 after she realized the representation of children of color on backpacks was, well, pretty much non-existent. Seven years down the line, Blended Designs customers can expect a thank you card with all of their purchases. The reason? One, it shows how appreciative Casey and her family are for your business. Two, folks taking snaps of it is good for user-generated content. And three, it distinguishes black-owned blended designs from other companies that are jumping on the Black Lives Matter bandwagon. So I have a philosophy with any company. I think it's very important to establish your company culture from day one. Who do you want to be? Who do you want to be recognized as? Not only by your employees or people that work with you and for you, but also by your consumer. So my philosophy has always been treat every customer the same way you treated that first customer. Because the first customer you get, you're like, oh my God, I got to sell. Like, what do I do? You know, you take your time with wrapping their package together, making sure it's sent right because... You're so happy, so grateful, and so humble for this first customer. And if you keep that mindset with every customer, it builds kind of a relationship with those customers and every customer feels special. So our social media has always been us. We are family. We post Carter a lot. Carter's my my son, the one who's, it was his idea for the backpacks. We post him, we post his story during when the pandemic first happened. I did like this whole thing with quarantine elementary. And I kept telling Carter that I'm his teacher now. And he's like, no, you're not my teacher. <laughs> so it was like, you know, this whole fun thing, but it was very relatable. So I think that nowadays, especially with small businesses and so many small businesses having faces now, people knowing who they're buying from, people are buying from that business owner and that business and not necessarily that product. Every single customer, the first time they order from us, they get a personal message that comes from me and my husband, and it's thanking them for supporting our business. We get thank you messages for a thank you message because people, they, they, they want to feel appreciated. We know that you could put your dollar anywhere, but you have chosen to buy from us and we are grateful and appreciative of that. We also, all of our content on our social media, probably 80% of the content is, it's called UGC, user-generated content. We post people with our products. We post our community of people wearing our products. We don't have models. We don't have these fancy photo shoot. We want real life. We want real kids going to school every day. Like today, this morning, there was a kid whose mom shared a post for career day where the kid's dressed up like a doctor, has our backpack that says, I can do anything. That's who we are. We want our kids to be able to believe that you can be a doctor. You can do anything. And so that's the message. And we want it to resonate in our social media. And it's always been that way. You said that you like to serve every customer like they're your first customer. How do you do that when your product just explodes and everyone wants to buy it? So, I mean, it's really simple. The way we package our, our products, the way we send our products out is always the same. 
um, our backpacks, if you place an order by, by um, one o'clock, it ships the same day. So you'll get your product. We try to answer every email within 24 hours. It gets a little bit difficult when, when that heavy volume hits where it's 24 hours, but literally we have someone that's responding to social media posts, social media comments consistently. I imagine once you're featured on national news, you get a few more haters. <laughs> we do. <laughs> we, um, some of them, when we first used to get them, I would cry. Like I, it was just hurt my feelings so bad because it's like, that's not who I am. And that's not my heart. That's not what I want. And the haters we get are very specific. We had someone um, in June of this year, an episode that we were on last year with a um, syndicated news channel re-ran. So obviously they liked the segment because they re-ran it again. But a person called us and literally called me everything but a child of God. Like she cursed me out, was using complete profanity, but I still wanted to maintain my professionalism. I was not going to get worked up. And I explained, this is what we do. You know, you, she, I was like, these are the backpacks that we have. These are the characters we have. And she wanted a character with her daughter, one that looked like her daughter. And I was like, well, unless we draw your daughter, we would never have one that looks like your daughter. So we were explaining, you know, the 2%, that 98% of the character bags in the market look like her daughter. There are plenty for her to choose from. She wanted the <laughs> the news segment to retract. And I'm like, they're not going to retract something that they've rerun. <laughs> so it's like, obviously that's not how it worked, but it, it, it's laughable now because it's like, you just really, you, it's not that you don't get it. It's you don't want to get it. So I've gone from crying of about the hate, the mean comments to kind of laughing about it. Because of the world we live in, I've spoken to owners of the most unprovocative companies in the world and they get trolls. How do you deal with it? I hear kill with kindness. I hear calmly explain. Will there just always be people like that? There will always be people. Um, you know, when we, there's a profile on Instagram that has, I think like 16 million followers and every now and then we'll run an ad with them. But with their ads, we have to be prepared because the trolls will come out. They will say very negative things, but we're not for you. It's, it, we don't even respond to them. If they're on our specific post, we'll just delete it. We, we don't, we try not to delete comments because I think I don't believe in, you know, obviously I'm a reader, so I don't believe in censorship, but I believe people should be able to have a voice and voice their opinion. But we don't, like, we don't allow profanity. If someone curses, we'll take it off. Just to give listeners an insight off air, you asked me if you were being too political <laughs> because, because of the nature of your product and what it represents, which is something so big, is it important for you that people realize that your company is a family outfit? It's a family company. It's important for us for them to realize that, but it's also important for them to realize that we are black owned. We are a hundred percent black owned business. And the reason why that's important is because there's so many different companies that are capitalizing on the black dollar and that money is not going back into the community. So we are a black owned company. We're selling black 
designed products. The majority of our products are black designed and it's targeting a black demographic, but that money actually goes back into the black community. So that's important. Um, There's a lot of companies that are now overseas in the Asian market that have absolutely nothing to do with the culture, but they're selling products. And it's almost like I've heard the term that it's called entrepreneurial blackface, where you're pretending and posing as a black owned company. And like you care about what's going on with the black community just to sell to black people, but it's not going back into the culture, if that makes sense. How do you feel about the big companies that are, some would say, cashing in on the whole Black Lives Matter movement? So, okay, this past June, I started another company, which is a subscription box company. The reason why I started it, I was a member of this book club that we would get, I'd get a book every month from them. And when, in June, when everyone was posting the Black Square, they posted a Black Square. A Black bookstagrammer, talked about the fact that a lot of the books that they choose for what they're having for their month doesn't have own voices. And that it's like, so you're saying you're supporting Black lives, you're supporting what's going on in the Black culture, but your actions don't say that. You're doing it on social media because it looks good. So, you know, when you say people of color, it's so broad, it still has to have a black voice. I think there are some people that are doing it very, very well. And some people that it's just about a bandwagon. It's a trend on social media. It's not necessarily making impact and making differences. Um, One thing that studies have shown is that black women are the most educated demographic in the United States. And it's because Black women tend to almost always get a master's degree or higher when they go to college. So it's a disproportionate number. But yet the number that are sitting in executive positions that are in the C-suites that are have being funded as business owners is a very small number. So it's like, are you really putting your money where your mouth is? I'm going to do a panel in a couple days. And one of the questions was, one of the comments was on there is all women was that women only receive 20% of venture capitalist funding. Well, black women only received 0.0006%. That's three zeros of all venture capitalist funding. So it's like, if you're, if you're capitalizing on it, but you're not supporting it, then how are you really helping? So we're consistently pouring into the community, pouring into other entrepreneurs, but we don't necessarily have the revenue and the capital to pour in the way we would like to. And those that have the capital aren't doing it. Coming up next time. In the beginning, when we started selling internationally, it wasn't on purpose. We started receiving requests from around the world to order from us. And now we probably ship to almost, I don't want to say every country, but a good amount of the countries in the world. We currently have a UK site, but the challenge which we kind of underestimated was 
it's almost like starting a second business. Our message still resonates with people regardless of where they are. We've had people say, can you make Hispanic characters? And I think what people forget is that there isn't a quote unquote Hispanic character that we could make. So like, how could we do that and still be sensitive to those other countries and those other cultures? That's it for this episode of Making It Work. If you want to catch new episodes as soon as we upload them, be sure to subscribe. That way you won't miss a thing. We always love hearing what you have to say, so please rate Making It Work and leave a comment wherever you listen. And if you'd like to get in touch with the team directly, shoot us an email at makingitwork@fedex.com. Thanks to our entrepreneurs, Monsi Gongan, Casey Kelly, Paul Pallas, and Dahlia Rizik. Making It Work is produced by Yolene Margri, written by Tom Scallon, and edited by Lars Blockenberg with creative direction from Jeroen von Koningshoven. Music by Fresh Big Mouth, who created this song with actual sounds from the FedEx Superhub in Memphis, Tennessee. This show is delivered to you by FedEx and presented by Tom Scallon and me, Kelly Martin.